Peter tells us of the coming of the Holy Spirit, quoting Joel 2, 28 to 32. Peter says in Acts 2, 17 to 21, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is what happened on the day of Pentecost. Well, good morning, everybody. And here we are in week four of some, what, 52 weeks or more of messages in the book of Acts. So glad that you're here. And uh, I know you're, nobody's going to miss any of them, right? Oh, good. <laughs> We're on the right track. Well, let me say happy birthday. Uh, I know you're, some of you are wondering, well, it's not my birthday today. Well, listen, what we're doing is we're celebrating the birthday of the, of the church. We are now in Acts chapter 2, and we are witnessing in Acts chapter 2 the actual birth of the church and the coming of the Holy Spirit. So uh, what I'm going to share with you today, there's a lot of information, so uh, I, I'm just warning everybody in advance. It's not complicated. But you should have no problem understanding it, but you just have to pay attention. So buckle up and uh, get ready for uh, a lot of information, but it's going to actually make everything come clear to you because we're literally going from Genesis to Revelation, and we only have about 40 minutes to do that. So are we all set, all ready to go, all buckled in? Okay. So we, we looked at Acts chapter 1 last week. We watched as, as Christ gave his disciples, what we call the Great Commission, and we, we saw Jesus ascend into heaven, and we remember that Jesus told his disciples, do not leave Jerusalem, wait until you receive the Holy Spirit. And then we get to Acts chapter 2, and if you've got your Bibles, and turn there and try to follow along. If you're taking notes today, um, you're, I'm going to help you see how everything in the Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is connected. And it says in Acts 2.1, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. So let's just quickly uh, explain to you what Pentecost means. Pentecost is actually a Greek word. It means 50 and it is, uh, it is why we, we call the feast that happens 50 days after Passover, the, uh, the Feast of, pa of, of Pentecost. Uh, Pentecost means 50, and uh, again, it happens 50 days after Passover, or for Christians, it's 50 days after Easter. And uh, it, it was at Passover that the Lamb of God, the sacrificed lamb, was offered to atone for the sins of the people. And we recognize that Jesus Christ himself is the Lamb of God. Remember the, the, uh, John the, the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming toward him, he says, Behold the Lamb of God 
who takes away the sin of the world. Pentecost is known by a few different names. Shavuot in Hebrew. It's called sometimes called the Feast of Weeks because it happens uh, seven weeks after the Passover. And sometimes it's called the Feast of First Fruits. The reason it's called the Feast of First Fruits is because uh, seven weeks after Passover, they celebrate the end of the grain harvest. And that's why it's called the First Fruits. It's the first fruit that comes in from that harvest. And so they're celebrating the harvest. Now, it's not, a, it's not a coincidence, my friends, that on the day of Pentecost, we're not just celebrating the, the harvest of grain, but we're also celebrating the harvest of souls. Did you get that? So on Pentecost, we're celebrating the harvest of grain, but we're also celebrating the harvest of souls. If you read on in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, it says, those who believed Peter's message were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. So we're seeing on the day of Pentecost a harvest of 3,000 souls. And... I want you to recognize something else about Pentecost. Pentecost is also the celebration of the giving of the Torah. What is that? Well, you remember that, that Moses went up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. And so this is the, the feast. This is the celebration that celebrates the giving of the Torah. Well, it's no coincidence that now we're not just celebrating the giving of the Torah, but now we're celebrating the giving of the Holy Spirit. So you see the parallels of what happened in the Old Testament, what's happening in the New Testament. So what's happening now is that God is signaling to the world that there is a transformation, a change taking place in the spiritual order of things. You need to recognize this. God is God ex told the Jewish people that they are to keep his law, and uh, they discovered that they were not able to do it. And God knew that they were not going to be able to do it. And so this is why, through the prophet Ezekiel, God gives this, this word to Israel. It's a prophecy of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27. God says, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Who would say that that described you before you became a Christian? Would you agree that that's, that's what you were? That's what I was. That's what we all are before we become Christians. Even though we know what we're supposed to do, even though we have a desire to do the right things, even though we, we want to be obedient to God and obedient to our parents, still, before we become Christians, our hearts are stony, stubborn, and hard, and unresponsive. But God says, I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Now, you're seeing what's happening here on the day of Pentecost. Whereas before, God wanted Israel to fulfill his, his laws, but, but he wanted them to understand. He wanted them to become desperate, to come to the place where they understood that they did not have the ability to live according to God's high and holy standard. They needed help from God. How many today need help from God? I know I do. And so I want you to know today that the, that the 
coming of the Holy Spirit, the celebration of Pentecost, is a celebration that God has come to help his people. So he says, I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. So the Lord is fulfilling a promise to Israel on the day of Pentecost. Jesus is sending the Holy Spirit. Okay, so the coming of the Holy Spirit marks three great signs that we're going to quickly take a look at this morning. And you need to understand this if you're going to even begin to understand what the whole Bible is about. What, is God, what does God want us to understand about his plan for humanity? What does God want us to understand about his plan of salvation? And that's what we discover here in in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. So, first of all, we read, Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. Anybody see the Category 5 hurricane that just hit Florida? Did you just see what it did? It, it was a mighty, mighty storm that, that nobody could control. With all the technology, with all the, with all the, the money and the power that was available to, to the United States, they had no, no power over this mighty hurricane. I want you to think of God as a mighty hurricane, as a mighty force, a mighty power. Because we all need to understand today that when God gives us a commission to go into the world to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's in his power and in his might. And some of us are afraid to share our faith with others because we feel we're too timid. But what you need to understand today is that you and I go and do the work of God in the mighty, roaring power of God. That's what the scripture tells us. Now, the wind of God, or the ruach of God, we talked about that last week, is the, the spirit of God. And the ruach of God hovered over the uh, surface of the earth at creation. And we see also that, that this mighty wind in the Greek, it, it, it actually says it is a, a violent, a violent uh, uh, power, a violent wind. That's how great and mighty it is. God is signaling something to his people that, that we have a mighty, a mighty power that comes from heaven that is beyond anything of this world. Does everybody understand that today? You and I have the power of God to go and be his witnesses. I want you to see something else, that Jesus himself acknowledges the Holy Spirit as being one with God. And that's why he tells us in the Great Commission to go and baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's right. So we recognize this mighty power of God, and we recognize that it has the power to 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 see and to fulfill God's uh, purposes and plans. And let's read on here. And this mighty windstorm filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Let's take a look then at the fire of God that came and rested upon each one. In Greek, it says that the fire of God was seen the merizo menai, meaning dividing and becoming seated upon each person. That's literally what it says in the Greek. Now, what does all that mean? Well, 
You'll remember, if you've read through the Old Testament, you'll remember that the presence or the power of God was seen in a column of fire by night and a column of cloud by day. Everybody remembers that? And, and when God gave instructions to build the tabernacle, what do we see? We see that the presence of God was situated over the tabernacle. Let me just show you a picture of that. So here's the tabernacle, and you'll notice that all the people of Israel are encamped around the tabernacle. We see that God is there in the midst of the people. He's in their presence. God, God is there in the midst of them. And why is the column of fire here? This represents God's presence. It's because right here is what we call the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant sits. And this Shekinah glory, this presence of God, rests right over the mercy seat. It's this, my friends, that the early believers saw. It's, it's this that they saw in the upper room. It's that which they saw dividing and resting upon each of the believers. So this is what we have. Whereas before you have the one column over the temple in the midst of the people, now that fire is divided amongst all of God's people. And now God is not just dwelling in the midst of the people, he's dwelling in the people. When you and I become Christians, you and I receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. Is anybody excited about that? Is this amazing or what? The, the, the Shekinah glory dwelt in the midst of the people. Now he is dwelling in his people. What's happening here? Well, God is creating a new order of things. And here's how Peter explains it. He says, you and I are coming to Christ, who is what? The living cornerstone of God's temple. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. What are, we, what are we learning here about the day of Pentecost? The day of Pentecost marks the birth of the church. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. What does that mean? Well, that, the cornerstone is, uh, is an architectural technique or architectural term used to describe the way that the building would then be situated. The cornerstone was the block from which all the walls went up. The cornerstone was the guide for the architect. And Jesus Christ now is the cornerstone. He is the guide. He's the architect. It's from Christ that the building is erected. But it's not a physical building. It is a spiritual temple. That's what, that's what Peter tells us here. And you and I are the spiritual bricks, as it were, that's that are brought together to build this spiritual temple. Whereas before, the presence of God dwelt in a physical building, and before the building, the, the temple was built by Solomon uh, and by the early builders of the first temple, uh, Solomon, for instance, there was what we call the tabernacle. It was a tent, but it was basically the same thing. So now the presence of God is not dwelling in a tabernacle, in a tent, or in a physical building. Now it dwells within us. We are now the new spiritual temple. Does everybody understand that today? 
The Spirit of God dwells within us. Wow. Now, folks, it's for this reason that the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. If you go back and check your history, you'll see that the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., and that was the end of sacrifices. The temple was never built again, and there was no more sacrifices. Why? Because there's a new temple. It's called the spiritual temple, the temple of God, where the Holy Spirit dwells within each of us. You and I, who are truly converted, truly born again, you and I make up this brand new temple. And there's a new kind of sacrifice that's being offered. Look at it says here, Peter says, that, that through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Well, we're not sacrificing animals anymore. Why? Because Jesus Christ gave himself. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 to 14. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again which can never take away our sins. But our high priest, whose name is Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for for sins, good for all time. In a Roman Catholic church, they have what they call the Mass every Sunday, and they call it the sacrifice of Jesus Christ every Sunday. Well, this, this is contrary to what we read here in the Scripture. What Jesus sacrificed back 2,000 years ago was good for all time. That's what it says here. And there he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. How many know that that is what God is doing even now? And some of us are tempted to look at what's happening in our culture and society, and we're tempted to despair. We're tempted to think, oh, God is losing the battle. Satan is winning. I want you to know right now, folks, God is sovereign. Remember, he's that mighty hurricane, and nothing can stand before him or against him. For by that one offering, Jesus forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What are these new sacrifices, by the way? Well, you can read about it yourself later, Romans 12 or Hebrews 13. It's a sacrifice of praise. It's a sacrifice of your own life. That's Romans 12.1. It's a sacrifice of giving to help others, to care for others. And it's the sacrifices of doing good. These are the new sacrifices that we offer to God. I haven't got time to get into that this morning. But that's, that's who we are. That's what we do. So when you and I come together on Sunday morning, what you need to understand is that this building is not the church. It's not the temple. This building that we're in right now is not the dwelling place of God. The dwelling place of God is in the people who gather in this building. You've you've received the Holy Spirit, and together we as one then bring glory to God. Now there's another sign. So we have the sign of the wind, we have the sign of the fire, and we have the sign of, of speaking in other tongues. So let's take a look at that. And we're reading Acts 2, 4 to 6. It says, And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At the time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. Why is that? Because this is the feast of Pentecost. 
and it was at the right time of the year. It's in June, the weather is good, people can travel. So this tended to be one of the best attended feasts in the Jewish calendar. And you've got Jewish people who are not just from Jerusalem, but people who are literally come from around the world to celebrate this feast of Pentecost. These would be Jews that were living abroad. Remember, there was what we called the diaspora. There were Jews that after, after Israel sinned, God kicked them out of the land, and they were spread out throughout the world. Remember that? And, uh, and not only that, but there were some people who actually became Jews. They were, they're what we call uh, converts to Judaism. Well, they would have come to Israel to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, and so there's these Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, what is the loud noise that they heard? Well, they heard the hurricane. They heard the hurricane coming through. And everyone came running. They wanted to know what's going on. Isn't that interesting? People are still the same today as they were 2,000 years ago. When you hear a commotion, you want to run. We are, we are preoccupied by that. We want to know what's going on. They came running. And they were what? Bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Now, can I just stop for a moment before I go further? Because most people, when they read Acts chapter 2, and particularly Acts 2, 4 to 6, we get fixated on tongues. And we, we think that that's all that this is about. And if you get fixated on, on the tongue speaking or the languages being spoken, you miss the point of the whole passage. And that's what I want to explain to you today. Why were they speaking these various languages? Well, let's read on a bit more. Verse 7 says, they were completely amazed, and they asked, how can this be? They, these people are from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, from Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things that God has done. These people, as they're speaking in tongues, are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to all those that were there at that moment. And they stood there amazed and perplexed, and they asked the question, what can this mean? They asked each other. And then verse 13, but others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. Well, what did they hear? They heard a babble of voices. If we fixate on the tongues, we're missing the point of the passage. Verse 13 The onlookers were skeptics. Oh, they're just drunk, that's all. There's a lot of skeptics of the church. A lot of people are on the outside looking and thinking, ah, these people, they don't make any sense. They're nuts, they're crazy. But there are some there, verse 12, that ask, what can this mean? They asked each other, what does it mean? And so that's what I want to answer this morning. I want to help you understand why are these people speaking in these languages of basically all the languages of the world? Well, in order to answer that question, what does this mean? We need to go to Genesis chapter 11, because what's happening here has enormous consequence. It's one of the greatest events in the history of humanity. 
It's the coming of the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? Well, here's what we read in 11, Genesis 11, 5 to 9. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that people were building. We're talking now about the Tower of Babel. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. And that is why it's called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. You understand why it's called Babel? Because everybody talking, ba 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 ba, it just sounds like Babel. That's where it comes from. And from there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. What you need to understand, folks, this is a judgment of God, this confusing of the languages, this, this giving of new languages. What you need to understand is that the people here in Genesis 11 are guilty of arrogance and pride against God. What they're saying is, we don't need God. We don't need to be, we don't need to be conscious of God. We don't have to worry about obeying God. We don't need to do anything that God says. In fact, what they're saying is, we are great and mighty, and in fact, we are God. And that's precisely what we're seeing happening today, especially in our culture. Everybody believes that he or she is equal to God, and no God's going to tell me what to do. And so this is the sin of these people, arrogance and pride. No one's going to tell me what to do. This is what we're going to do. They present their plans with arrogance. This is why James reminds us that nobody should say, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. James says, whatever you do, make sure you always preface it with these words, Lord willing, the Lord willing, because this signifies that we are not arrogant, but that we ultimately rely on God. Now, those who understand what it means to be a Christian, they understand, you understand the sovereignty of God and the importance of doing not your will, but God's will. If you're born again today, you understand that that's what true holiness is. True holiness is not that you, you, you don't do this, you don't do that, you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't. The, the, the mark of a believer is that you're always doing the will of God. That's what true holiness is. Doing God's will every time. And so God, God sees these people and their pride and their arrogance. They're saying, basically, we reject you, God. God, you're not going to tell me what to do. And so what we find is that God, in turn, rejects them. And he confuses their language, and he forces them to spread throughout the creation. This, my friends, is what God wanted Adam and Eve to do. We read about this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. What does he say? He says, be fruitful, multiply, and take over the earth, spread throughout the earth. Now these people, their languages are confused. They can't get along anymore. Can you imagine trying to build a house or trying to do any project with a group of people that don't speak the same language? Could you imagine trying to do an operation in an operating room and the nurse is supposed to be handing you the instruments doesn't speak your language? Now you have a disaster on your hands. You've, got, you've seriously increased the chances of major error. Well, these people now, they, they go away in their groups. So it's here we gotta stop for a moment. 
Because what you need to know is that from Genesis to Revelation, we have the plan, God's plan of salvation. What we're, what we're seeing here, folks, is the beginning of the revelation of, of God's plan of salvation. The day of Pentecost is really like reverse engineering of what God did here in Genesis 11. In Genesis 11, he gives them languages and he disperses them. But now we get to the day of Pentecost and we find now God is bringing them back together again. He dispersed them and now he's bringing them back together again. What is going on? This is huge. This is massive. It's epic. The magnitude of this is beyond what, what most of us can begin to imagine. What God is doing is he is now saying, I'm taking back the nations to be my own. I rejected them. I sent them away in Genesis 11, but now the day is coming. I'm going to be taking them back. This is part of God's plan of salvation. Now, how does God fulfill his plan? Well, you and I know he sends a Messiah. He sends a Messiah through a nation. Which nation will be so honored to have the Messiah come? Well, that's a good question. And if you read Genesis chapter 10, you find what we call the table of nations. At that time, there were 72 nations. But lo and behold, God does not choose even one of those 72 nations. Can I just remind everybody, everything in the scripture is there for a reason. You may have read Genesis chapter 10. You thought to yourself, what's the point of this? Why am I reading this? This is boring. Nothing is there by accident. Genesis chapter 10 is there according to God's plan. He shows us the existing nations at that time, and lo, lo and behold, not one of them is worthy of the Messiah. So what does God do? Well, we read in Genesis chapter 12. You see, we're on Genesis 11, Genesis 10, now we're going to Genesis 12. In Genesis 12, 1 to 3, we discover that God is creating a new nation, the nation of Israel, a nation that is to be consecrated to God for his purpose. And what is the purpose? To be a light to the nations. And it's through the Israel, Israeli nation that the Messiah would come to this world. And so we read in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What's he talking about? Is he talking about them being, getting rich? Surely that must be what it means to be blessed by God. Absolutely not. When God says to Abraham, you will be a blessing and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you, what God is saying is that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, will come through you, Abraham, through your nation, through your offspring. Wow. 
And that's exactly what happened. And so you read in Genesis, or in Matthew chapter 1, and you read in Luke, you read of the genealogies, you see the, the, the way that God sends Jesus Christ into this world. Why? To save us, to bring salvation to us. This is God's plan. And he does not use the 72 nations. He creates his own holy nation. He creates a nation for himself. In fact, God, in the scriptures, it says that, that God considers Israel his inheritance. The gods, the demons of this world claim the other nations, but God claims Israel for himself as his own inheritance. Ephesians 1.18, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. So it's through Abraham that the light of the world would come to this world, and his name is Jesus. This is what Jesus says about himself in John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Folks, Jesus takes away the sin of the world. He reconciles us to God. He restores the broken relationship. No one can come to the Father except through Jesus Christ. This is why at our church, we don't say all roads lead to heaven or all roads leads to God. We do not, we, we absolutely will not say that all religions lead, lead, lead to God. Why? Because Jesus makes it clear to us. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's an exclusive message. And boy, does it ever make people angry. It makes everybody angry. But nevertheless, my friends, this is God's great plan. And that's what the outpouring of the Holy Spirit with the speaking in tongues is all about. It is a sign. It is a sign to heaven and to hell. God is serving notice. I'm taking back what's mine. And I'm taking it back through Jesus Christ. With the coming of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, the Lord is saying to all the nations, I'm coming for what's mine. And most importantly, he's telling the disciples that, remember, the Jewish people had a hard time with the idea that God could love the Gentiles. Peter, Peter was, was the first one to be given a vision that, that, that showed him that God was accepting Gentiles into his family. And this blew his mind. And he, he, he saw the vision of the, remember the animals coming down out of heaven, and, and God says, don't you call anything unclean. In other words, this Cornelius that you're going to preach to, even though he's a Gentile, he's mine. And this blew Peter's mind. He couldn't believe it. He went back and reported it. But before long, he forgot all about it. He went back to his old ways again. It had to be the apostle Paul comes along, and he scolds everybody in Jerusalem, all the Christians there. You people keep forgetting that God is taking for himself an inheritance that comes from the whole world. It's not just the Jews. Powerful stuff. And so what we see, folks, is a fulfillment of what David prophesied in Psalm chapter 2, verses 7 to 9. The king proclaims the Lord's decree. And this is God speaking to Jesus. Listen to this. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Only ask, 
And I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. And you will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. Jesus is serving notice. I'm coming for my inheritance, my holy possession. And I'm coming through the spirit-filled servants, my ambassadors that are called Christians. This is what you and I need to understand today is that God is using you and me as his ambassadors, as his spirit-filled ambassadors. He's called us to go and bring the good news of Jesus Christ to a world that is broken and full of sin, a world that is looking for truth, a world that is lost. Remember, Jesus said that I have come to seek and to save what was lost. This is the world we live in. And the church has been lazy. The church has, has, has gotten caught up in things that have nothing to do with God. You hear sermons preached in churches that do not proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. They proclaim a lot of things, but they don't proclaim Christ. Jesus Christ is still the only hope of this world. And this is why when you come to this church, you're going to hear the truth, you're going to hear about Christ, and you're going to hear how Christ affects you every single Sunday. You need Jesus Christ. That's what you need more than you need anything else. You got a broken marriage, broken family, broken relationships. I'm going to tell you, you can employ all kinds of psychological tricks and all kinds of psychological strategies. But at the end of the day, what needs to happen is that your heart needs to be transformed by Jesus Christ. Because our big problem, my friends, is that we are full of sin and full of selfishness. And Jesus Christ alone has the power to transform us by his spirit. Hallelujah. This is what we're talking about today. And so we see that the giving of the Holy Spirit, the wind, the fire, and the speaking in tongues is all a signal that God is going to establish his church and it will be a church that consists of every nation. What I love about Cross Church is that we literally have people from so many different nations, from all the continents. They're all here in our church. Folks, this is a little foretaste of what we're going to experience when we get to heaven. Here's what it says in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 to 10. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count from every nation and tribe and people and language. And they're all standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is a little foretaste of heaven right here, right now. Did you know that? That's what this is. You've often heard me say that our little church is, is a little foretaste of heaven. It's, it's Eden, if you will. It's a little taste of Eden. Why? Because God dwells not just amongst us, but he dwells in us. And when we come together in Jesus' name, Jesus says, I am there with you. The Lord Jesus is here today. And the Lord Jesus has clearly given us marching orders. Our marching orders is to go and proclaim the gospel, to go and tell others that they need a Savior. Wow. Jesus is taking back the nations. You may have read in Luke chapter 10 at some point about how Jesus sends out 72 disciples to proclaim Christ and to cast out demons in Jesus' name. There's a reason why Jesus called 72 
you were paying attention, you know that in Genesis 10, there are 72 nations. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, I'm coming for you. <laughs> I'm coming for all the nations. It's not just for Israel that I've come. I've come for everyone. Hallelujah. It's there for a reason, my friends. God wants us to understand what our calling is. He wants to understand. He wants us to understand what our commission is. Our mission is to go and bring this gospel, this good news. Folks, in these last days, as I said, we may be tempted to think that Satan has the upper hand. You know, we are, we are no longer living in a Christian nation. Everybody knows that. At one time, it, we, we were considered a Christian nation. And America was considered a Christian nation. There's no way that you can call our nations Christian. It, the, the best that you can say is that we're post-Christian or post-modern. But I would say this. I would say that we are now pagan. I would say this, this nation is a pagan nation. I would say America is pagan. And what do we mean by that? We mean that, that these nations have, for the most part, rejected God and rejected Judeo-Christian values. Now, please understand, just because you embrace Judeo-Christian values doesn't mean that you are a Christian. But what you need to know is that for, for at least 100 years in Canada and, and at least uh, maybe 150, close to 200 years in America, this, these were nations that lived according to Judeo-Christian values. I'm not saying everybody was a Christian, far from it. But they understood that Judeo-Christian values we're the value system that guarantees ongoing prosperity and righteousness. Well, we've lost that. We are seeing record numbers, record, record numbers in terms of increase in crime. We are seeing uh, what, what seems to be uh, an all-out war against Christians and against the Word of God. But this shouldn't surprise us, nor should it make us be afraid. Because remember, it's the Ruach of God, the almighty power of God that is at work within us who are called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So you and I go from this place as servants of almighty God, acknowledging that Jesus Christ is Lord and sovereign over all. That right now, God is bringing in his harvest, and it all began on the day of Pentecost. Wow. And when he's done bringing in his harvest, the scripture tells us that is when he will return. So you and I, we've got some work yet to do. And folks, this is why we're so heavily involved in overseas missions. This is why we're involved in other nations proclaiming the gospel. So what is, what is the outcome of this passage? Well, next week, we're going to see what happens. The Apostle Peter stands up to preach on the day of Pentecost. This man who was afraid to be even identified with Christ, now he stands up in the midst of the crowds, in full view of the Pharisees, in full view of the temple cops, in full view of everybody. He doesn't care. Why? Because he's got the power of the Holy Spirit at work in him. And he stands up and he proclaims that message, and 3,000 people are saved and baptized that very day. That, my friends, is the power of God that is available to you and to me. Hallelujah. We're called as ambassadors. We're called to preach the gospel. This is our calling. This is our responsibility. You, 
if you're a believer today, you've received this Holy Spirit, and that makes you an agent of God to proclaim Jesus Christ. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you today that when we put our faith in Christ, that was the day that we were filled with the Spirit, enabled to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do not preach it in our own power or in our own wisdom or strength, but we have the mighty ruach of God, the mighty power of God, that nothing can stand against that power of God. Nothing and no one, no power in heaven or on earth can stand against the ruach of God, the spirit of the living God. And it's that spirit, hallelujah, that dwells within each one of us today. And we thank you, Lord. We know clearly what it is that we are to do, and that is to be a witness, a testimony to the nations. And that begins with our next-door neighbor. That begins with our mother, father, brother, sister, aunt, uncle, cousin, uh, best friend, workmate. God, we pray in Jesus' name, may we go from here as a people who are under a commission, who have been given a commission as a people who have been given a responsibility to proclaim, proclaim Christ. And so we pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me. Amen. Tell the person beside you, go share the gospel with someone.